Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the scriptures. That's right, we love them. This episode, we are going over the Come Follow Me lesson for March 11th through 17th, 2024. This is covering 2 Nephi chapters 26 through 30. And now, let's bring out the star of the show, the scriptures. I'm so happy you're here, Scriptures. So great to see you. And now let's consult the Scripturematic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 35 minutes, 11 seconds. Not bad at all. What would that be daily? 5 minutes, 1 second. So easy to do. Here we've got time codes if you want to take it chapter by chapter. Otherwise, buckle up and we'll talk about them all together. So let's start with 2 Nephi 26. The first 11 verses is a continuation of Nephi's instruction to his own people. In these verses, look for what Nephi foresaw would happen to some of his descendants at the time of the Savior's death and resurrection, and why. Starting in verse 3, And after the Messiah shall come, there shall be signs given unto my people of his birth, and also of his death and resurrection, and great and terrible shall that day be unto the wicked. For they shall perish, and they shall perish because they cast out the prophets and the saints, and stone them, and slay them. Wherefore, the cry of the blood of the saints shall ascend up to God from the ground against them. Moving on to verse 5. And they that kill the prophets and the saints, the depths of the earth shall swallow them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and mountains shall cover them, and whirlwinds shall carry them away. And buildings shall fall upon them, and crush them to pieces, and grind them to powder. And they shall be visited with thunderings, and lightnings, and earthquakes, and all manner of destructions, for the fire of the anger of the Lord shall be kindled against them, and they shall be as stubble. And the day that cometh shall consume them, saith the Lord of hosts. Please think back on these prophecies when we read Third Nephi chapter 8. Yeah, they should sound very familiar. Now let's look for what Nephi foresaw would happen to some of his descendants among the fourth generation after the Savior appeared to them, and why. 2 Nephi 26, verse 10. And when these things have passed away, a speedy destruction cometh unto my people. For notwithstanding the pains of my soul, I have seen it. Wherefore, I know that it shall come to pass. And they sell themselves for naught, for for the reward of their pride and their foolishness they shall reap destruction. For because they yield unto the devil and choose works of darkness rather than light, therefore they must go down to hell. For the Spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. And when the Spirit ceaseth to strive with man, then cometh speedy destruction, and this grieveth my soul. You can imagine how it would. Even after seeing this which grieved his soul, look at Nephi's faithfulness. Take a look at verse 7. Oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul for the loss of the slain of my people. For I, Nephi, have seen it, and it well nigh consumeth me before the presence of the Lord. But I must cry unto my God, Thy ways are just." We can declare the justice of God and our trust in Him, and at the same time, recognize that what we are facing 
is very hard. But the divine justice of God, which assures that the wicked will be punished for their wickedness, also assures that the righteous will be rewarded. Let's take a look at verse 8. But behold the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets, and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness for the signs which are given, notwithstanding all persecution. Behold, they are they which shall not perish. But the Son of Righteousness shall appear unto them, and he shall heal them, and they shall have peace with him, until three generations have passed away, and many of the fourth generation shall have passed away in righteousness. Let's skip to verse 13. And he manifesteth himself unto all those who believe in him, by the power of the Holy Ghost, yea, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, working mighty miracles, signs, and wonders among the children of men, according to their faith. Now, verse 12 indicates a shift. Now and through chapter 29, verse 14, Nephi will be speaking to the Gentiles, first the Jews, then his own people, and now to the Gentiles. In verses 14 through 19, Nephi prophesied that the Book of Mormon would come forth in the last days, during a time when many people would be prideful and unbelieving. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar, starting in verse 20. And the Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes, and have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block, that they have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God, and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own understanding, that they may get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. And there are many churches built up which cause envyings and strifes and malice. Now notice in verse 20 this wonderful use of descriptive words. They're lifted up in the pride of their eyes. They build up many churches. They preach up unto themselves their own wisdom. But what do they do? They put down the power and miracles of God. Watch for that, especially as we try to discern truth and look for where God may be found. He won't be found among those who put down his power and his miracles. And what about the list in verse 21, which cause envyings and strifes and malice? These are all ways that Satan seeks to lead us away from Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more. Verse 22. And there are also secret combinations, even as in times of old, according to the combinations of the devil. For he is the founder of all these things, yea, the founder of murder and works of darkness. Yea, and he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord, until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. The Institute Manual includes this great quote from Carlos E. Ace. This is from his book, The Road to Somewhere, A Guide for Young Men and Women, from 1994. He says, quote, The first wrongdoing is like a single strand of flaxen thread. It is easily broken and thrown aside. But each time the wrong is repeated, another strand is intertwined around the first, and on and on it goes until an almost unbreakable cord of multi-strands is woven. The chains of habit, said Samuel Johnson, are too small to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. Close quote. I like that. But now let's look for how the Lord's ways differ from the devil's ways. Verse 23. 
For behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. He doeth not anything save it be for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. After all this, we know that God loves his children. This is a message that we'll hear over and over again. We know that God loves all his children. Even if it isn't always easy to see, we can pray to know that God will not do anything, save it be for the benefit of the world, which he loves. And he will not do it in darkness. Right. Verse 25. Behold, doth he cry unto any, saying, Depart from me? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he saith, Come unto me, all ye ends of the earth. Buy milk and honey, without money and without price. Behold, hath he commanded any that they should depart out of the synagogues or out of the houses of worship? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Hath he commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he hath given it free for all men, and he hath commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance. Behold, hath the Lord commanded any that they should not partake of his goodness? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But all men are privileged one like unto the other, and none are forbidden. Let's skip to verse 33. For none of these iniquities come of the Lord. For he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men. And he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God both Jew and Gentile. Did you notice how inclusive all of these verses are? He doesn't command any that they should not partake. It is free for all men. He tries to persuade all. He doesn't command any that they should not partake of his goodness. Again and again, he talks about how all, he wants everyone to be a part of salvation Now, in verse 33, although this list could be understood in other ways, the intent of the author seems to be a list of opposites, so that we can see that it also covers everything in between. For example, when Jesus says that he's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, it implies that he is that and everything in between as well. So, when Nephi says that God denies none who come unto him, both bond and free are opposites. So, are male and female, Jew, those that are in the covenant, and Gentiles, those that are out of the covenant. When he uses the terms black and white, then, it probably wasn't meant in a racial way by Nephi. Africans and Northern Europeans are not opposites. I think Nephi used black and white in the sense of a dark and light countenance. It fits with the way that those terms are used in other areas of the Book of Mormon, and it works in other places in the Book of Mormon where lists of opposites are given. For example, in Alma 11.44, Now this restoration shall come to all, both old and young opposites, both bond and free, both male and female, both the wicked and 
the righteous. All examples of opposites. Alma chapter 1 verse 30 says, Therefore they were liberal to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, whether out of the church or in the church, having no respect to persons. But the message of all of this is clear. The Lord invites all people to come unto him and partake of his salvation. The 2017 Seminary Manual includes this great quote from President Dieter F. Uchtdorf. This comes from the April 2010 General Conference. He says, quote, I hope that we welcome and love all of God's children, including those who might dress, look, speak, or just do things differently. It is not good to make others feel as though they are deficient. Let us lift those around us. Let us extend a welcoming hand. Let us bestow upon our brothers and sisters in the church a special measure of humanity, compassion, and charity, so that they feel at long last they have finally found home. It seems only right and proper that we extend to others that which we so earnestly desire for ourselves. I am not suggesting that we accept sin or overlook evil in our personal life or in the world. Nevertheless, in our zeal, we sometimes confuse sin with sinner, and we condemn too quickly and with too little compassion. Let our hearts and hands be stretched out in compassion toward others, for everyone is walking his or her own difficult path. End quote. Wonderful. And that brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 27. Let's start in verse 1. But behold, in the last days, here now Nephi is speaking of our day, or in the days of the Gentiles, yea, behold, all the nations of the Gentiles and also the Jews, both those who shall come upon this land and those who shall be upon other lands, yea, even upon all the lands of the earth, behold, they will be drunken with iniquity and all manner of abominations. And when that day shall come, they shall be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder, and with earthquake, and with a great noise, and with storm, and with tempest, and with the flame of devouring fire. And all the nations that fight against Zion, and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. Yea, it shall be unto them, even as unto a hungry man which dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Or like unto a thirsty man which dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. Yea, even so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion." For behold, all ye that doeth iniquity, stay yourselves and wonder, for ye shall cry out and cry, yea, ye shall be drunken but not with wine, ye shall stagger but not with strong drink. For behold, the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. For behold, ye have closed your eyes, and ye have rejected the prophets and your rulers, and the seers hath he covered because of your iniquity." Hmm, do those words sound familiar? Do you remember studying Isaiah? He's back to using Isaiah phrases to describe a point. Did you notice Nephi testifying of any challenges we have to deal with today? Do any of these sound familiar? Drunken with iniquity, perhaps? That's quite an image. But what do you think it means? 
Drunkenness impedes your higher thought functions. It can make you violent and unpleasant and makes you more easily influenced by others. So the phrase, drunken with iniquity, what can that mean? And what about some who are like to a hungry man? This is the saddest part of the description. Who dreams of eating or a thirsty man who dreams of drinking and then awakens and feels his soul is empty, like it says in verse 3. So sad. It is so sad. Eating or drinking in a dream gives no lasting satisfaction and accomplishes nothing, since hunger or thirst remains after the dream. Likewise, those who fight against Mount Zion or the Lord's church will have no lasting satisfaction, nor will they accomplish anything meaningful. How about ye have closed your eyes in verse 5? Do we purposefully resist seeing the truth? Perhaps hoping that if we can't see it, it's not really happening? Hmm. Great descriptions. The Institute Manual has this great quote from President Boyd K. Packer. This comes from an evening with the General Authority on February 6, 2004. He says, quote, I know of nothing in the history of the church or in the history of the world to compare with our present circumstances. Nothing happened in Sodom and Gomorrah which exceeds in wickedness and depravity that which surrounds us now. Words of profanity, vulgarity, and blasphemy are heard everywhere. Unspeakable wickedness and perversion were once hidden in dark places. Now they are in the open, even accorded legal protection. At Sodom and Gomorrah, these things were localized— now they are spread across the world, and they are among us, end quote. So what has the Lord prepared to help overcome these afflictions in the last days? Let's take a look at 2 Nephi 27, verse 6. And it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall bring forth unto you the words of a book, and they shall be the words of them which have slumbered. Now, remember I said that it sounds like he's pulling Isaiah phrases together? This is specifically from Isaiah chapter 29, but he's interpolating the prophecy here to make it more clear to his readers. The phrase, them which have slumbered, refers to the deceased prophets who kept the records that would become the Book of Mormon. The Lord brought forth this book to help correct problems in the last days and to bring light to a darkened world. The Lord revealed to ancient prophets the details concerning the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Nephi recorded these details in 2 Nephi 27. In verses 7 through 11, Nephi prophesied of the withholding and eventual coming forth of the sealed portion of the gold plates, which contains a revelation of all things from the foundation of the world unto the end thereof, as it says in verse 10. The Institute Manual includes this quote from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. This is from his book, A Wonderful Flood of Light. He says, quote, Many more scriptural writings will yet come to us, including those of Enoch, all of the writings of the Apostle John, the records of the lost tribes of Israel, and the approximately two-thirds of the Book of Mormon plates that were sealed. And the day cometh that the words of the book which were sealed shall be read upon the housetops, and they shall be read by the power of Christ. And all things shall be revealed unto the children of men which ever have been among the children of men. 
and which ever will be, even unto the end of the earth. Here he's quoting verse 11 of chapter 27. Today we carry convenient quadruple combinations of the scriptures. But one day, since more scriptures are coming, we may need to pull little red wagons brimful with books. Close quote. <laughs> yes, books. Interesting to note that Elder Maxwell probably didn't even imagine back in 1990 that we would be able to carry so many books on our mobile devices. Right. Let's go on with verse 12. Wherefore, at that day, when the book shall be delivered unto the man whom I have spoken, the book shall be hid from the eyes of the world, that the eyes of none shall behold it, save it be that three witnesses shall behold it by the power of God, besides him to whom the book shall be delivered. And they shall testify to the truth of the book and the things therein. And there is none other which shall view it, save it be a few according to the will of God, to bear testimony of his word unto the children of men. For the Lord God hath said that the words of the faithful should speak as if it were from the dead. Wherefore the Lord God will proceed to bring forth the words of the book, and in the mouth of as many witnesses as seemeth him good will he establish his word. And woe be unto him that rejecteth the word of God. The materials in the front of the Book of Mormon will tell you the names of those three witnesses, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. And what about the other witnesses mentioned in verse 14? These certainly include the eight additional witnesses whose testimony is also found in the front materials of the Book of Mormon. But there are others. To learn more, check out the Church History Topics section under Witnesses of the Book of Mormon. We'll put a link in the description. Fascinating stuff. So next, Nephi shared a prophecy about some of the details related to the translation of the Book of Mormon. And as he has been, in little bits, he's incorporating parts of Isaiah chapter 29. So let's read 2 Nephi 27, starting with verse 15. But behold, it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall say unto him to whom he shall deliver the book, Take these words, which are not sealed, and deliver them to another, that he may show them unto the learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And the learned shall say, Bring hither the book, and I will read them. And now, because of the glory of the world, and to get gain, will they say this, and not for the glory of God. And the man shall say, I cannot bring the book, for it is sealed. Then shall the learned say, I cannot read it. Wherefore it shall come to pass that the Lord God will deliver again the book and the words thereof to him that is not learned. And the man that is not learned shall say, I am not learned. For the fulfillment of that prophecy in 1828, check out the account in your Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith History, verses 63 to 65. Joseph Smith was the unlearned man in the prophecy. Now, why would God choose him when he had access to the most learned men in the world? Let's take a look at what Nephi tells us in chapter 27, verse 20. Then shall the Lord God say unto him, The learned shall not read them, for they have rejected them, and I am able to do mine own work. Wherefore, thou shalt read the words which I shall give unto thee. Touch not the things which are sealed, for I will bring them forth in mine own due time, 
for I will show unto the children of men that I am able to do mine own work. We testify that by the gift and power of God, Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. This was to glorify God and not the young prophet. The Lord provided instruments, the Urim and Thummim, which had been buried with the plates, to assist Joseph Smith in translating the Book of Mormon. Joseph's wife Emma and others reported that Joseph at times also used a small oval stone, referred to as a seer stone, to assist in translating portions of the Book of Mormon. When Joseph Smith was asked for specifics about the process of translation, he testified that it had been done by the gift and power of God. For more information about that, we recommend you look in Gospel Topics for the article Book of Mormon Translation. Right. Great stuff. Excellent. Let's keep going in verse 25. Forasmuch as this people draw near unto me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men, therefore I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise and learned shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent shall be hid. And for a brief point of clarification from President Russell M. Nelson, this is from the October 2007 General Conference, he stated that this, quote, marvelous work would include the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and the restoration of the gospel, end quote. Now, in verses 29 through 35, Nephi testified that the Book of Mormon would help people gain spiritual sight and learn true doctrine. And that brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 28. We are, this may not be news to you, involved in an ongoing war against evil. But we have a secret weapon. The seminary manual includes this quote from President Ezra Taft Benson. This is from an article in the January 1988 Enzyme. He says, quote, The Book of Mormon exposes the enemies of Christ. It confounds false doctrines and lays down contention. It fortifies the humble followers of Christ against the evil designs, strategies, and doctrines of the devil in our day. Close quote. And let's look at some of that. Starting in 2 Nephi 28, verse 3. For it shall come to pass in that day that the churches which are built up and not unto the Lord, when the one shall say unto the other, Behold, I, I am the Lord's, and the others shall say, I, I am the Lord's, and thus shall everyone say that hath built up churches and not unto the Lord. And they shall contend one with another, and their priests shall contend one with another, and they shall teach with their learning, and deny the Holy Ghost which giveth utterance. And they deny the power of God, the Holy One of Israel. And they say unto the people, Hearken unto us, and hear ye our precept, for behold, there is no God today. For the Lord and the Redeemer hath done his work, and he hath given his power unto men. Behold, hearken ye unto my precept. If they shall say there is a miracle wrought by the hand of the Lord, believe it not, for this day he is not a God of miracles, he hath done his work. Yea, and there shall be many which shall say, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and it shall be well with us. And there shall also be many which shall say, Eat, drink, and be merry, nevertheless fear God, 
he will justify in committing a little sin, yea, lie a little, take the advantage of one because of his words, dig a pit for thy neighbor, there is no harm in this, and do all these things, for tomorrow we die. And if it so be that we are guilty, God will beat us with a few stripes, and at last we shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Yea, and there shall be many which shall teach after this manner, false and vain and foolish doctrines, and shall be puffed up in their hearts, and shall seek deep to hide their counsels from the Lord, and their works shall be in the dark. Wow. Remember that Nephi taught us just two chapters ago. In Second Nephi 26 verse 23, I say unto you that the Lord worketh not in darkness. Right. And so here we see that that's one of the things that reveals Satan's tactics. Their work shall be in the dark. Any other helpful teachings in there that might help reveal the enemy's tactics? What makes these false doctrines so appealing to so many? Do we fall into the trap of justifying a little sin? In verses 12 through 19, Nephi said, Churches in the last days would become corrupted because of pride, false teachers, and false doctrine. In addition, Nephi warned that those who pervert the right way of the Lord, like it says in verse 15, will be thrust down to hell. But those who repent will not be destroyed, as he promises in verse 17. Let's take a look at verse 19. For the kingdom of the devil must shake and they which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance, or the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains, and they be stirred up to anger and perish. For behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men, and stir them up to anger against that which is good. And others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security, or worldly security, trusting in the things of the world over the things of the Lord. Going on, that they will say, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls, and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. And behold, others he flattereth away, and telleth them, There is no hell. And he saith unto them, I am no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears, until he grasps them with his awful chains, from whence there is no deliverance. Look at the ways Satan is able to grasp us with his awful chains, stirring people up to anger against that which is good. Do we see that today? Pacifying and lulling away individuals into carnal security, or the security that the world offers. Telling people that there is no hell and no devil. We'd encourage you to take the time to explore these subtle deceptions. For example, what are some examples of Satan trying to stir people up to anger against that which is good, like it says in verse 20? Do you see that? Maybe on social media or in the news? Or maybe among family and friends? How does anger confuse people about what is good and what is evil? And what are some things we can do to guard against anger? Another example would be to ask, why do you think it is dangerous for people to think that all is well in Zion, like it says in verse 21, and that no improvement is needed? Or why do you think flattery can lead some people away from the Lord? Nephi gives us these great prophetic cautions. 
it's not a bad idea to take some time and look at how they apply to us today. And let's not forget simple logic and checking of sources. After all, if a being is telling you, I am no devil for there is none, wait a minute, what's the source and how am I receiving this information? Wouldn't that imply that what he's saying is actually contradictory? Good point. Now, in verses 24 and 25, Nephi warned that those who gave in to these devilish tactics would experience sorrow and suffering. Nephi then teaches about what God has to teach us. Imagine a long staircase that represents your spiritual knowledge and understanding. What are ways God helps us increase our spiritual knowledge and understanding over time? What would happen to someone who doesn't take the next step because they feel content with the knowledge they already have. Let's keep going in verse 26. Yea, woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men, and denieth the power of God, and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yea, woe be unto him that saith, We have received, and we need no more. And in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. Woe be unto him that shall say, We have received the word of God, and we need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, and there a little. And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth, I will give more. And from them that shall say, We have enough. From them shall be taken away even that which they have. And there's Nephi using Isaiah again to great effect. This is Isaiah 28, verses 10 through 13, that uses phrases like line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, and there a little. The seminary manual includes this great quote from President Dieter F. Uchtdorf. This comes from the April 2011 General Conference. He says, quote, Revelation and testimony do not always come with overwhelming force. For many, a testimony comes slowly, a piece at a time. Sometimes it comes so gradually that it is hard to recall the exact moment we actually knew the gospel was true. The Lord gives us line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, end quote. The Institute Manual includes this commentary. It says Nephi indicated that when the Book of Mormon goes forth to confound the false doctrines and philosophies mentioned in 2 Nephi 28, many people would be angry because of the truth of God and will say, we need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. Making such a claim seals the heavens, discounts the need for living prophets, and denies the power of the Holy Ghost. Nephi warned those who nurture this attitude, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. The prophet Joseph Smith explained the shortcomings of the Bible. Quote, Much instruction has been given to man since the beginning, which we do not possess now. Some of our friends are bold to say that we have everything written in the Bible which God ever spoke to man since the world began. Does it remain for a people who never had faith enough to call down one scrap of revelation from heaven 
and for all they have now are indebted to the faith of another people who lived hundreds and thousands of years before them? Does it remain for them to say how much God has spoken and how much he has not spoken? It is nowhere said in that volume by the mouth of God that he would not, after giving what is there contained, speak again. Close quote. That's quoted from the History of the Church, Volume 2. The Institute Manual goes on, To say that the Lord cannot speak today, as in days past, would be to put limitations on God. President James E. Faust explained the need for modern revelation. Quote, Does God love us less than those led by the ancient prophets? Do we need his guidance and instruction less? Reason suggests that this cannot be. Does he not care? Has he lost his voice? Has he gone on a permanent vacation? Does he sleep? The unreasonableness of each of these proposals is self-evident. Close quote. This is from an April 1980 General Conference. Well, and something simple yet profound to think about. When we tell our Father in Heaven that we've had enough, we have stopped our progression. This is the literal definition of what it means to be damned. Yeah, think of that staircase again and all of the divine knowledge and wisdom available. Why wouldn't we want to take the next step and the next, even if it's hard? Now, in the last few verses, the Lord warned against trusting in the world and said he will be merciful to those who repent and come unto him. And that brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 29. Let's start in verse 1. But behold, there shall be many at that day when I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them, that I may remember my covenants which I have made unto the children of men, that I may set my hand again the second time to recover my people which are of the house of Israel, and also that I may remember the promises which I have made unto thee, Nephi, and also unto thy father, that I would remember your seed, and that the words of your seed should proceed forth out of my mouth unto your seed. And my words shall hiss forth unto the ends of the earth, for a standard unto my people which are of the house of Israel. Now to hiss forth means to go forth with intensity. Standard in this context refers to an object such as a flag or banner that's used as a rallying point or a signal to assemble. So, what is the standard that will go forth under the ends of the earth to gather the Lord's people? It's the words of Nephi's seed, or descendants, and the words of the Lord. That is what is recorded in the Book of Mormon. But how would the Gentiles react to additional scripture from the ancient Americas? Let's take a look at verse 3. And because my words shall hiss forth, many of the Gentiles shall say, A Bible? A Bible? We have got a Bible, and there cannot be any more Bible. But thus saith the Lord God, O fools, they shall have a Bible, and it shall proceed forth from the Jews, mine ancient covenant people. And what thank they the Jews for the Bible, which they receive from them? Yea, what do the Gentiles mean? Do they remember the travails and the labors and the pains of the Jews and their diligence unto me in bringing forth salvation unto the Gentiles? O ye Gentiles, have ye remembered the Jews, mine ancient covenant people? Nay, but ye have cursed them and have hated them and have not sought to recover them. But behold, I will return all these things upon your own heads, for I the Lord have not forgotten my people." Thou fool that shall say, A Bible, we have got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. 
Have ye obtained a Bible, save it were by the Jews? Can you imagine saying that we have enough of God's Word? The seminary manual includes this quote from President Russell M. Nelson. This is from the April 2018 General Conference. He says, quote, Oh, there is so much more that your Father in Heaven wants you to know. As Elder Neal A. Maxwell taught, To those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it is clear that the Father and the Son are giving away the secrets of the universe. Close quote. So now let's look for what Jesus Christ wants people who reject the Book of Mormon to know. Going on with verse 7. Know ye not that there are more nations than one? Know ye not that I, the Lord your God, have created all men, and that I remember those that are upon the isles of the sea, and that I rule in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, and I bring forth my word unto the children of men, yea, even upon all the nations of the earth? Wherefore murmur ye, because ye shall have more of my word? Know ye not that the testimony of two nations is a witness unto you that I am God, that I remember one nation like unto another? Wherefore I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another. And when the two nations shall run together, the testimony of the two nations shall run together also. And I do this, that I may prove unto many that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I speak forth my words according to mine own pleasure. And because that I have spoken one word, ye need not suppose that I cannot speak another. For my work is not yet finished, neither shall it be until the end of man, neither from that time henceforth and forever. Wherefore, because that ye have a Bible, ye need not suppose that it contains all my words, neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written. Are there teachings in these verses that would help you if this topic came up in a discussion with a friend of another faith tradition? It might be helpful to highlight points from these verses, like, As the Creator of all people, the Lord remembers them and brings forth His word unto them, like it says in verse 7. The testimony of two nations witnesses that the Lord is God and that He speaks the same words to all nations, like it says in verse 8. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, like it says in verse 9. And also in verse 9, the Lord's work is not finished, and He will continue to speak according to His will to accomplish His work. In verses 11 through 14, the Lord taught that He commands people in all nations to record His words, including the tribes of Israel that He has led away. One day, the Jews, the Nephites, and the lost tribes of Israel will have each other's words, and the Lord's word will be gathered in one like it says in verse 14. The Institute Manual includes this quote from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. This comes from the October 1986 General Conference. He says, quote, Lost books are among the treasures yet to come forth. Over 20 of these are mentioned in the existing scriptures. Perhaps most startling and voluminous will be the records of the lost tribes of Israel. We would not even know of the impending third witness for Christ except through the precious Book of Mormon, the second witness for Christ. This third set of sacred records will thus complete a triad of truth. Then, just as the perfect shepherd has said, my word also shall be gathered in one. 
There will be one fold and one shepherd in a welding together of all the Christian dispensations of human history. End quote. The manual goes on to say the coming together of sacred records is a major theme of the Book of Mormon. Later examples in the Book of Mormon include King Limhi and Ammon returning with the Jaredite record, King Limhi and Ammon returning with their own records, and Alma's colony returning with their records. We'll see more of that as we go on. For now, let's pick it up in 2 Nephi chapter 30. The 2017 Seminary Manual gives this summary. From 2 Nephi 30 verses 1 through 8, we learn that Heavenly Father covenants with those who repent and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, regardless of their lineage or nationality. Nephi prophesied that many Gentiles, in this context, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, will believe the words of the Book of Mormon and carry them to the descendants of Lehi. These descendants will be restored to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The scattered Jews will also begin to believe in the Savior, and they as well as the believing descendants of Lehi will become a delightsome people, like it refers to in verses 6 and 7 and will take the gospel to all nations of the earth. But it's not all happy news. Look for what Nephi prophesied would happen before the second coming of the Savior. Starting in verse 9, And with righteousness shall the Lord God judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. For the time speedily cometh that the Lord God shall cause a great division among the people, and the wicked will he destroy, and he will spare his people, yea, even if it so be that he must destroy the wicked by fire. The 2017 Seminary Manual has this quote from President Ezra Taft Benson. This is from the October 1988 General Conference. He says, quote, I testify that as the forces of evil increase under Lucifer's leadership, and as the forces of good increase under the leadership of Jesus Christ, there will be growing battles between the two until the final confrontation. As the issues become clearer and more obvious, all mankind will eventually be required to align themselves either for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of the devil. As these conflicts rage, either secretly or openly, the righteous will be tested. God's wrath will soon shake the nations of the earth and will be poured out on the wicked without measure. Close quote. That was back in 1988. Does it sound even more relevant today? <laughs> it does to me. From the October 2006 General Conference, Elder Larry W. Gibbons tells us, quote, In this day of moral relativism, we must be prepared to take a stand and say, this is right and this is wrong. We cannot follow the crowd. Now, I am not suggesting, of course, that we move to the wilderness and lock our doors. We can be in the world, go to school, go to work, join worthwhile community organizations and so forth, but we must hold to the Lord's standards. Brothers and sisters, stay on the straight and narrow path. No, stay in the middle of the straight and narrow path. Don't drift. Don't wander. Don't dabble. Be careful. Remember, do not flirt with evil. Stay out of the devil's territory. Do not give Satan any home field advantage. 
living the commandments will bring you the happiness that too many look for in other places. End quote. So good. Good point. Well, finally, Nephi also prophesied concerning the millennium, the 1,000 years following the Savior's second coming. Let's pick it up in verse 12. And then shall the wolf dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Wherefore, the things of all nations shall be made known, yea, all things shall be made known unto the children of men. There is nothing which is secret, save it shall be revealed. There is no work of darkness, save it shall be made manifest in the light. And there is nothing which is sealed upon the earth, save it shall be loosed. Wherefore, all things which have been revealed unto the children of men shall at that day be revealed. And Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more, for a long time. And now, my beloved brethren, I make an end of my sayings. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Well, I guess that's the end of Nephi's writings. Oh, but wait, we have three more chapters. Yeah, but Nephi said, I make an end of my sayings. That sounds like he's said all he wants to say. <laughs> well, maybe he did at the time. But sometime after he finished chapter 30, he had a reason to speak more plainly about the doctrine of Christ. But we'll find out more about that in our next lesson. Fantastic. Well, we covered so much in this lesson. There were so many gems. What stuck out to you this time around? Yeah, were there things you noticed that really applied to our world to make known Satan's tactics? But as we said, Nephi has more to say, so keep reading your scriptures, and we'll talk to you more about it in our next lesson. We'll see you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we're really big fans. <laughs>